Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today, on the state of Ukraine, Russia and Ukraine accuse each other of planning to sabotage a nuclear power plant. I'm Christine Arismith. The countries have traded these accusations about the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in southeastern Ukraine over the past year. But now, say the attack is imminent. NPR's Scott Detrow spoke to correspondents Charles Maines in Moscow, Jeff Brumfield in Washington, and began by asking NPR's Greg Myrie what exactly the Ukrainians are claiming. Well, President Volodymyr Zelensky says Ukrainian intelligence believes Russian forces have placed devices that appear to be explosives on the rooftops of at least two of the six nuclear reactors. Now, the Ukrainians believe the intent could be to detonate a a small explosive on top of the reactors, making it look like it's a Ukrainian shelling attack. Presumably, it wouldn't cause too much damage or, or leak radiation from the reactors. Now, Zelensky says he announced this publicly because he says the world needs to know quote, that the only source of the danger to the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant is Russia and no one else. And Ukrainians say they have no motive to attack their own nuclear power plant. They want the facility back in one piece, and they just need the electricity that it generates. Charles, you're, you're in Moscow. What does Russia allege here? Well, you know, throughout the war, we've, we've seen Kiev and Moscow repeatedly trade accusations of false flag operations, you know, each blaming the other for carrying out violence or, or planning to. And that's the case here. Russia says it is Ukraine planning to attack the Zaporizhia nuclear plant. An official from Russia's nuclear energy agency, Rosatom, was very specific. He said Ukraine plans to bomb the facility tonight, although he's provided no evidence. Yet speaking to journalists in Moscow today, uh, the Kremlin spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, built on that claim. He called the threat of sabotage at the plant high and warned of possible catastrophic consequences. Peskov said Moscow was taking steps to neutralize that threat, but somewhat ominously, he also drew comparisons to the destruction of the Kakhovka Dam last month, uh, saying it showed Ukraine was capable of anything. And of course, the destruction of that dam is yet another example where Moscow and Kiev have dueling narratives over who was responsible for the mass destruction that followed. Right. Now, Jeff, you have spent a lot of time reporting on this nuclear complex. As you understand it, how vulnerable is the plant to attack? Well, fundamentally, this is a civilian facility. I mean, it's just not designed to withstand a direct military attack. That said, the reactors themselves are encased in these very heavy containment vessels. They would probably be difficult to damage or destroy, even with really big munitions like missiles or tank rounds. But there are a lot of support systems, generators, water pumps, stuff like that, that are quite vulnerable. The plant has endured quite a bit already. You know, its power lines keep getting cut. It's lost its primary supply of cooling water, thanks to the destruction of that dam that Charles just mentioned. And the number of Ukrainian workers, reportedly, is dwindling. They're just not showing up. That said, inspectors from the International Atomic Energy Agency, the world's nuclear watchdog, are at the plant. They say they've seen no evidence so far of mines or demolition charges, at least not in the areas they've had access to. So at the moment, things seem stable. Okay, now back to Greg and Kiev. Ukraine says there's no motive for a 
to attack its own plant, but it's waging this offensive in the southeast of the country where the dam is located. How is that offensive linked to these developments at the nuclear plant? Yes, Scott, there is a relationship here. Ukraine is pressing this major offensive in the east and the south, and one line of attack is less than 50 miles east of the nuclear plant. Now, Ukraine hasn't made much progress on this front over the past month, but if it does, and if they push the Russians back or break through their lines, the Russian troops now holding the Zaporizhia plant would be at great risk of getting trapped there. Uh, the Russians are already hemmed in to the north and the west of the plant by the Dnipro River, and Ukrainian forces are on the opposite side of the river. So the Ukrainians would very much want to retake this. And if they did, it would represent a major military and symbolic victory. So, Charles, from Russia's perspective, though, what's the value of holding and defending a nuclear plant when it's no longer producing electricity? Yeah, you know, the evidence seems quite clear, despite Kremlin denials, that Russia had at least been using the nuclear facility to store military equipment with the idea that the other side, Ukraine, might be too scared to fire back at a nuclear facility. Uh, That hasn't entirely happened. There's clearly been fighting near the plant for months and making many people very nervous in the process. But whether or not the plant has generated electricity or not at this moment, the nuclear facility is clearly important to Ukraine's economy, and it follows could be important to Russia's as well. You know, this is not just about Russia keeping Ukraine from generating electricity that, you know, as Greg noted earlier, its economy desperately needs, but also about possibly rechanneling that energy towards Russian needs, particularly in places like annexed Crimea, that peninsula that was seized by Russia from Ukraine in 2014. Also, let's not forget that the plant itself is on territory that Russia, at least on paper, claims to have annexed on its own, as its own, following these very controversial referendums for joining the Russian Federation. Despite international condemnation, Russia insists this land was historically Russian and is now theirs once again. Follows the Zaporizhia nuclear facility is theirs too, if they can hold it. So Jeff, if something happens here, I think this, this conversation has made it clear there will be dueling claims. There will be a lot of confusing information, possibly misinformation. What will you be watching for to determine if something has happened and how serious it might be? You know, the nuclear inspectors that are on site are probably the world's best shot to let people know what's going on in an emergency. They mm-hmm. do have a direct connection to the outside. In terms of, you know, what could happen, the good news is this this won't be a Chernobyl-like incident if anything happens. That reactor was designed very, very differently, that terrible meltdown in 1986. These reactors can't have that kind of accident, and they've been shut down for quite a while. So I think the chances of it going really big aren't all that great. But still, there could be something bad. And if something bad does happen, there's no one there to, to really stop it. Yeah. Yeah. That's NPR's Jeff Brumfield in Washington. Charles Maines in Moscow, and Greg Myrie in Kiev. Thanks to everybody. Sure thing, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.
Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR. <laughs> 